Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Kicked Back, a home for football fans that want to stay up to date on everything going on in the football world. Join Caroline, Liam, and some special guests along the way as they talk about all the trending news around leagues, players, teams, and much more. Now, all you got to do is get comfortable and kick back because we're about to get started. Back to back, Kicked Back episodes. What's up, everyone? Liam, how you doing? I'm good. Not much has changed from yesterday. Yeah. But... I'm here and I'm ready to talk about some other national teams. I know. We got we got USA up today on our list and of course France. Uh, which I just woke up in such a frustrated mood, mood before we get into it because and I know we spoke about it on our podcast yesterday but the slander that Ronaldo's getting I just I can't understand how someone who just transcends our sport and who's done so much for our sport is having an off year. With, and it's valid because, yes, the stuff on the pitch, but then he's been dealing with so much stuff off the pitch, obviously his son dying. Uh, you, you just, you think you'd sit back and just be like, okay, we're, we're going to give him a minute. We're going to mm-hmm. give him a minute to breathe and let him get some consistent minutes under his, you know, under, on the pitch and, and see where it goes. But for everyone to just attack him like this, man, he's got to be low-key, maybe now low-key one of the more hated footballers I'm starting to realize. Yeah, I guess all those haters are just finally getting a voice after all this time. And it's a shame, I guess, only he can turn the critics around. Hopefully that happens soon. People weren't happy with my Davis take yesterday either. What? Really? I heard someone someone go at me on Twitter, uh, TikTok. Let me say, let me see. Said uh, another player should play in that position instead. FFS, if you know what that means at home. That's what he wrote in there. And I was just, oh, I said, thank you for your comment. Follow for more. Oh, people are so. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind. Comment all you want. Well, I, people also giving you love. That's a good point. Simply yeah. genius. Which honestly, I was thinking about it on I'll the drive it. home yesterday after the podcast. And again, basically reiterating what we were saying. You want Davies to have the ball as much as he can. And you saw that against Uruguay. And as a holding center mid, you do see most of the ball. I think my point around it mostly was too is that Canada don't have an extremely deep team. So you want to have as many as your best players on the field as you can as possible. Wales do it and they've seen success with when they've done, uh, was a Euro 2016, I think they went to the semifinals and now they go into a World Cup for the first time in a while or maybe the first time, I can't remember. And like, I'll be, I don't know, I'll be, and it was 
Alaba. That's what I was thinking. I got him mixed up with Austria. He plays everywhere. I just think sometimes these, I guess, lower end nations who yeah. have good quality players just need to do whatever they can do to get their best 11 on the field. And actually, when I picked up my dad from work yesterday and we were talking about the podcast and I, I brought up what I said about Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah. And he, he laughed, first of all. And he was like, you know what England should do? He's like, they should play him on the wing. They should play him on the wing. And he's like, he can't defend. And he's like, everybody knows that. And like, surely he knows that. Yeah. And he's fully aware. He's like, why not just give him a give him a go on the wing and see what happens? And then that way you can still have... I like I don't know if it would work necessarily because England do have a lot of attackers, obviously, too. Like Saka, like we said yesterday, Grealish, Foden. But maybe that's how you incorporate Trent into the team. If you want to keep playing Maguire and you need to play Reese James, then maybe that's how you do it. Play Trent as a right winger. Something something to consider. But I don't disagree with your dad because we talked about this on our show that Trent is a good player when he's in the attack. He's actually yeah. a really good exactly. player. In, Probably I agree. I agree. He's super, super dangerous. And if he's not excelling in the defensive end, then there is a position in a starting 11 where he could just solely focus on attacking. I wonder if that's happened before. Like, I, I can't think of a time, but surely there's been a moment when Klopp's been like, okay, like, maybe we'll just put Trent on the wing. Yeah. Maybe it's happened. I don't know. I yeah. haven't seen it, but maybe in, uh, I'm the manager of Trent. I'll throw <laughs> <Yeah. up that. laughs> Maybe Klopp will also listen to this along with yeah. John Herdman. Yeah, exactly. Okay, U.S. Uh, men's national team, zero goals in their final two warm-up games. Not with the U.S., I'm sure. And, of course, USA fans wanted to see. Uh, obviously, most recently, losing to Japan and drawing against Saudi Arabia. They've only registered, Liam, two shots on target over 180 minutes of football. So, obviously, their next game will be a World Cup game November 21st against Wales. Mm. And... A concern for U.S. soccer fans or football fans because they feel as though at this moment in time, watching their team perform, they are not even close to pre being prepared for the World Cup. Yeah, and it's weird because I think this is probably, it's a young team, yeah, but also probably one of the most talented U.S. Mm -hmm. teams we've seen in a long time. Like, Brendan Aronson's doing well for Leeds. Rainers with Dortmund and always had his injuries and his, maybe isn't in the great form. Like Pulisic is great, but unfortunately mm -hmm. he's just not playing as much for Chelsea right now. And maybe I think that's kind of an issue for them as well is their, well, yes, they have an extremely talented team. Two of their key players in Rainer and Pulisic just simply aren't playing. And going into a World Cup is not exactly a recipe for success for a team that doesn't have layers and layers of elite talent. And... I think that's kind of something that's hurting them a lot is that, yeah, these guys just aren't playing. And I know Pulisic, there was a lot of talk about him maybe going on loan mm -hmm. when before the transfer window closed, but Chelsea didn't want to allow it. So I think as a if you're a U.S. fan and a Pulisic fan, you're kind of hoping now with Graham Potter as the manager, then maybe he sees Pulisic in a different light than what Tuchel did and yeah. starts playing a lot more. Because when he's playing, he's, he's a lot of fun to watch. And I... I I would like to see him play a bit more. So then when we, the World Cup comes around, you just want to see the best of everyone, right? Yep. You want to see the best players perform on the best stage in the world. Well, I personally was shocked because I don't think that the U.S. have the most talent in international football. But like you said, I think this is one of the first teams in a long time that has a lot of young talent who's up and coming. Players who play for Fulham, Chelsea, Leeds, Barcelona, Dortmund, Juventus, Lille. These are young 
players who are coming into a squad, maybe with not as much experience, which is kind of what we're seeing with Canada, but are playing in some of the best teams, some of the best leagues. So you'd expect them to kind of string together a better performance than having two shots on target in 180 minutes of football. So I'm like, there needs to be a problem. And and what a lot of US fans are complaining about is Greg Berhalter, which is obviously the head coach and the system that he's putting these players in. You you have these ta- this, this talented group of players and apparently they're just not playing in the roles that would suit their skill set best. They're not comfortable in their roles. They don't like the system that Berhalter is playing them in. And unfortunately, instead of the head coach maybe changing the system, changing his tactical approach to help put his players in a position of like the best performance possible, he's not doing that. And you're seeing a a performance from the U S men's national team where they walk away and you're trying to find one positive in a 90 minute game. That's at some point, the point of having a manager is to have a guy who can kind of go through that situation and make those changes. And if their head coach isn't willing to do that, they're in trouble against, I would say they're in trouble in a group where they potentially like they could squeeze by and get out of. I think the the World Cup group they're in is like England should be the superior team in this group, but I think the US and Wales are on a similar similar level and Iran won't be any pushovers mm-hmm. by any means. So they're in a group that they're more than capable of getting out of, but they do need to get some well, they're not gonna have a chance now, but they need to get some momentum going into the World Cup and that's just gonna have to come from individual performances and going forward there and like I think something they, they're missing compared to what they've had in previous years where they've had like Clint Dempsey play for them in the World Cup, like Landon Donovan has gone and played for them. Is like they've had that like clinical striker or mm-hmm. someone who knows how to... Josie Altador. Yeah, Jose Altador. Someone who knows how to score goals and right now they just don't seem to really have that. And on the manager front, we were saying before the show, like the conversation of maybe letting him go, right? Like yeah. is other man, other t- countries around the world have done this before the World Cup and seen results. Yeah, so that that's the big question. Should the US fire their coach right now? Um, and we've seen obviously football managers get sacked uh, when it's not necessarily as deserving, but in the most recent past, Iran and Morocco both have fired their managers and have seen better performances since that happened. And Uruguay actually fired their manager during a world cup, like during the world cup qualifications and seen improvement. So us football fans are sitting back and they're saying, if you know, Berhalter's approach and system and tactics aren't working, why the hell is USA soccer not doing anything about it? And when you look at his coaching resume, like this is shocking, Liam, he was fired from Swedish soccer tier for lack of attacking play five seasons in MLS finished seventh, fourth, 18th, fifth, and 10th in league standings, zero trophies, zero international experience. But the one thing going for him is that he's the brother of a U.S. soccer CFO. So it is obviously a super political decision. Um, I'm kind of, it's so unfortunate because like I've said on this show before, I do want the CONCACAF teams to do well, Costa Rica, Mexico, the US, Canada, because it helps the, the, the sport evolve in CONCACAF and of course, North America. And having a coach like Greg, and I'm not shitting on Greg, but 
I do think that this U.S. team deserves maybe a coach who's played, uh, who's coached in Champions League, who's coached other international teams, a coach with more of a resume that is outside of of MLS. And there's that's not. I'm not saying that with any disrespect. Maybe Ted Lasso. <laughs> Ted Lasso. I was like. Uh, <laughs> Tuchel, get Tuchel on this. I mean, give Carlo Ancelotti this team. I feel like it would look different. The results yeah. would look different. Yeah, it's um, you'd think at this stage of where the US is at on the football scale mm-hmm. and the way that MLS has developed. Now, a lot of their key players are playing in Europe that they would be able to recruit a higher end manager. Yep. Obviously, it seems like this might be a political thing, like you said, and it's a shame. I guess to give him a little bit of credit, he got them back to the World Cup, which they missed the last time. But at the same time, like you're the US, like you have been the dominant team in North America mm-hmm. for a long time. Like you and Mexico have just been going at it forever. And now Canada's on the scene. And to be to be fair, Canada's had one good run, and now all of a sudden they're the best team in Concacaf. Yeah, it shouldn't be like that it shouldn't be like that the u.s should have had a sustained sustainable system in which they can continue to dominate in this area and you look at mexico and they've got a bit of the excuse of well a lot of their players aren't playing at the top level of europe anymore and like fair enough i guess you have to go through that development phase but the u.s everyone was saying how you have the best players in Concacaf in north america with pulisic reyna aronson and now you've just been been taken over by the canadians to be honest like realistically right that's how it is it's true and the thing is u.s soccer u.s football has money like they have money to go out and get these good coaches to put these um high level coaching staff in positions to help this team succeed uh and they're not doing it it's they're not doing that and it's become political so that to me it's it's unfortunate obviously um you know the u.s participated in every world cup since 1990 until 2014 and then they didn't qualify for that 2018 world cup run and that was devastating to u.s fans i don't know if you remember liam but everyone was distraught they said it was an embarrassment i remember going to watch toronto fc games every single time michael bradley or josie altador touched the ball they would get booed by every single team that they played in major league soccer they were booed because that's how upset fans were that they didn't do as much as they could to have qualified so now this team has qualified for the 2022 world cup it wasn't pretty by any means but they did it that's all that matters and they have a coach that's not putting them in the best position to win. If a, if a coach, if you see that your system, your tactics, the way you want this team to play, it's not working, you have to go back to the drawing board and figure out a way to make this young talent that you have on your team succeed. And 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 that's where I, I just feel like the confidence of these guys must be down. I feel like their belief in their coach must be down because anytime this coach has a chance to kind of throw them under the bus in a post-game um, interview, he does, which I think is so, it's just distasteful. I hate when I see coaches do that. So I, I feel bad for U.S. fans because I don't, I don't know how hopeful it looks for the U.S. And I do think that um, this is a team that maybe can turn it around. We always say that the World Cup is a different beast, so you never know what's going to happen. But man, after seeing those two first results in those warm-up games, I, I don't know what you're. they're kind of hanging on for in terms of hope. Well, I can't remember who it was who we spoke about. Maybe you can remember when I say, but a couple of weeks ago we mentioned it's a manager's job to put players in positions to succeed. And we said, I think it was a Premier League manager, I can't remember, but that's what you got to do, right? Like, 
if you're not able to adapt into the way you need to adapt, then what's the point? Yeah. Like, what is the point? Um, to go over some of the results, like I know he said, they drew against Saudi Arabia. They lost 2-0 against Japan. I think the worst result about all of this is the El Salvador game. And yes, they drew 1-1, but it took a 91st-minute equalizer from Jordan Morris for them to draw 1-1 against El Salvador. That's no disrespect to El Salvador. <laughs> right. But it shouldn't be like that. That'd be like... Um, France drawing against like Luxembourg or yeah. something like that. Like it just shouldn't ever happen. Um, I guess a quick shout out to Matt Turner. who got a clean sheet in that yeah, game. Right. <laughs> like, but at the end of the day, the US, that Wales game to start the tournament on November 21st, I think that is make or break. And maybe that's premature to say before the tournament is even took a breath. But Wales and you are probably going to be the one compete for that second spot. So if you lose to Wales in your first match day, and then you play England next, and you have two losses on your resume, Wales still have to play Iran. Yep. I don't know. It won't be good. They've got to get a result against Wales on the 21st of November. And you brought up an excellent point. There's not really that clinical striker on the U.S. They just play the ball back and side to side. They don't really have that key player that they can play it into who can find the back of the net, at least not in the system that they are playing in. So to, to go up against a Wales and to go up against Iran and in England, of course, the defensive component of your game is going to, is going to be huge, but they have to find a way to score. I mean, mm. I just hope that they're, they're, they're sitting in a meeting and they're like, well, how the hell do we change this around now? Because sometimes these warm up games, this is what they do for you. They're like, okay, we are, this is the missing puzzle piece. This is what we need to figure out. We have less than two months to do this. Let's go because come Qatar, we need to have this cleaned up. I hope that's the conversation in this team. And I actually hope the leaders on that team um, approach the coach with this and say things need to freaking change and yeah. we demand change. So I heard this on uh, Demarcus Beasley, who is a former US international. He played for Rangers and City in England, I think. Maybe, maybe Sunderland as well. I can't remember. He said on a, English talk show that 25 of the 26 predicted players to go to Qatar have never played in a World Cup. I like I don't, I don't know who else they could even put in to be honest to help that number kind of get a bit more experience. But if the stage is too big now and we've not even started, what's it going to be in two less than two months' time? Like I just. It's just such a weird time. And like England are in a similar position to bring it there, I suppose, where they're struggling to score goals. Yeah. But at least they've been there. At least they've been to these competitions and had success and, and know what it takes. And I guess there are more veteran teams that can kind of maybe get over this hump. Like the US, like I said it right off the top when we started talking about this, a lot of their players are in slumps for club football too. Mm -hmm. The top ones like Reyna who hasn't played yet and Pulisic, like... It's going to take a lot, I think, for them to have some success, which is a shame. Um, just quickly, on Iran, because I know we mentioned they sacked the manager and changed it. So it's Carlos Cuellar, I believe his name is. He used to be assistant manager for United. In their last two games, they drew against Senegal 1-1, which is a good result, and they beat Uruguay. Yep. So... There you go. It's another tough team. It, it's probably not ideal to sack your manager this close to the World Cup, but if it's the best thing that you could do for your team, then you have to do it, right? Like you can't look at optics. Obviously, everyone would be like, maybe more people would be in favor of it than we think in, in, in terms of U.S. football fans. But I just, 
the negativity around how like Burhalter throws his players under the bus and how he's not making these systematic changes and how his teams played. Like they come off the pitch looking lost. They look confused. They look like they don't have an ounce of confidence. I spoke to how important confidence is going into the world cup on yesterday's show. I, I can't imagine what it's like to come off the field with two shots against on target against Saudi Arabia. And that's no disrespect to Saudi Arabia, but they are ranked 49th in the world by FIFA, as opposed to the U S team who's ranked 15th and they don't have a solid performance. They don't feel like they played to their best ability. They didn't win the game. And that was their last chance to play together as a team in an international friendly before the World Cup. I don't know how their confidence is going into the biggest tournament, of course, whereas opposed to Canada, where I was saying yesterday, they played a solid game against Uruguay. They found team chemistry. They didn't get the result they wanted, but they they, they ended on some like real positive notes and of course, lessons to be learned. But I don't know if there was one positive in that game for the US. That's what's scary. Yeah, um, I was quickly looking here because I knew this had kind of happened before managers fired before World Cup. Spain sacked their manager two days before the World Cup in 2018. That's right. Yeah, I couldn't remember who it was, but I'm sure there's another one too, and I can't find it, where the manager was sacked a couple of months before the World Cup, maybe a little bit more than that. And then he went, oh, like a year old, and he went on to win. I can't remember who it was though, and... Maybe, I, maybe I'm right. wrong, but... No, I, you're not. This, I, I remember something like that. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but yeah, apparently Spain fired their manager two days before their opener at the World Cup, and I don't think they did that well, if I have to be honest. Let's have a quick peek. 2018 World Cup. Didn't they get knocked out of Russia or Croatia? Let's have a look here. Da, 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 da. Now, this is content. Me looking through my laptop. They didn't even make it out of the group. Well, there you have it, folks. Spain. Oh, they won the group. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I do want to say is that before the 2002 World Cup, the U.S. lost two games before it and ended up going to the quarterfinals. What year was that one, sorry? 2002. 2002. So maybe, maybe there's hope. But then again, like you said, I think experience plays such a big role um, mm. for these teams going into the Euro Cup, the, the the World Cup, the Olympic Games. It's so important because you need those guys to either be a strong presence in the starting 11 or come off the bench or be that presence in the locker room. Canada and the U.S. don't have that type of experience. I'm hoping, though, that young talent that they have that's hungry can can make up for it. But this I'm more hopeful way more hopeful for that on the Canadian side of things than the U.S. side of things but if they ended up doing it in 2002 maybe they can uh somehow surprise North America and and at least get out of that group I think that that would be a win you just need a little momentum yeah that's, that's all and it luck. is yeah and how luck. much luck can you get in these tournaments so much so much right it, it can happen from anything you can have good luck bad luck I and I mean as an England fan I hope they don't have too much good luck so they don't beat us in the group. But you can have a little bit. You can finish second above Wales. That'd be nice. Greg Berhalter said that England's going to win the World Cup. I agree, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I read that and I sat back as a, like, a, I'm like, if I was a player and my coach straight said to the media that the team who's in our group is going to win the World Cup, I'm like, okay, so he's clearly scratched our names off the day we play England as a massive L because if they're going to win the World Cup, they're clearly getting out of the group and like, 
you just don't want to think about that as a player. Like, I don't know. I just think it was a dumb comment, but he makes a lot of dumb comments, so I don't know. Yeah, there's different ways to wood There's it. different ways England to England will it. be a favorite at this yes. World Cup. Yeah. But we will challenge them until the end. It was almost like he go, was Greg. like, um, I completely agree with you, Liam. It's almost like he said that to just kind of preface what's, you know, hey, if we lose, when we yeah. lose to England, it's because I think that they're this incredibly talented team, which they are, that's going to win the World Cup. So it was almost this like little, hey, I'm sliding in to let you guys all know. So it's it's almost, he doesn't want them to be super disappointed when it happens. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, So I found my Spain thing. They okay. were eliminated by Russia. I knew they were. I couldn't find them on my thing. Penalties in the last 16. So there you go, Spain. Maybe a better look this year. I love it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You want to talk about France? May as well. The world champions who aren't looking like the world champions that much right now. Do you know what my biggest thing with France is? And... <sighs> How do I word this? I think they just have too many mouths to feed. Yeah, they have I like that. So many good, good players, and I think an issue with the manager is he's just trying to please everyone, and sometimes you just can't. And to bring this back to England again, look at Trent. He's just not playing because Southgate's like, "How am I supposed to play him?" Mm-hmm. Where the French should just like, "Oh, well, we got to play this guy, this guy, this guy," and it's just kind of you know they finished third in the Nations League group, and they're constantly changing the team and. Just don't get it. Just pick an 11. Just pick an 11 and rotate a couple of guys in and out. You don't need to change it every single game. Well, how stressful... It probably has to be so stressful when you have one of the owners of PSG playing on your national team. <laughs> yes, of course. Trying to figure out how to work them in there. I mean, but I I think France has ultra-talented players, just to allude to what you were saying to Liam. Like, sometimes it's so difficult when you have a team of such superstars and talented players to figure out the roles that they play, the minutes that they get, what position they want to be in, because you know that when that happens, there is 
some ego associated to that that comes from the players. They have demands. And Mbappe's not going from PSG where he has every demand in the world that's satisfied and then not to France being like, okay, like now I'm here playing for the French team. I guess that's not how it works here. You know, he's bringing that same level of demand to the French team. So I don't know what's going on. Obviously that there's like a couple injuries that we know of. Benzema is just really getting back into form right now. But if you look at, if you look at France this year in the Nations League campaign, 2-1 loss to Denmark, 1-1 draw to Croatia, which I think like those are two good teams. 1-1 draw to Austria, then a 1-0 loss to Croatia, 2-0 win to Austria, 2-0 loss to Denmark. Not like the worst teams, but when you think about France and how they won the Nations League for the first time last year, not losing a single game, to now being in a position where they're finishing third in their group after taking just five points from a possible 18 uh, and having won the World Cup in 2018, you're like, is this team maybe being, you know, is this team being talked about way too much to potentially win? It does feel like they've lost a lot of momentum yes. from winning the World Cup and the Euros didn't go too well for them either. And now, yeah, they won the Nations League. But so in 2022, the team, these are the teams they've beaten. The Ivory Coast, 2-1. They've been in South Africa 5-0. By the way, that Ivory Coast game was a 93rd minute winner. Um, South Africa 5-0. And then over the weekend, they beat Austria 2-0. That's it. And now you're going into a World Cup and it's like, okay, well, like, how are you feeling right now? Like, what yeah. is this team at? And like we said, like the the firepower they have, like Benzema's not, not even fully fit yet. Mbappe... Yeah. Griezmann's still a yeah. serviceable player coming off. True. Did you see actually to go off that quickly? Uh, Griezmann won the Player of the Month for Atletico Madrid, but he didn't start one game. Like wow. he he just came off the bench like four times and scored in four straight games. Damn! And it was all around like the 60th minute. So there's this whole thing going on right now where like Griezmann only plays 30 minutes a game and he just won. Oh. So he played what would that at like two ninety minute, 120 minutes in four games ish and one player of the month well i respect that because we talked about that with holland like it's efficient like work smarter not harder if he's able to come on the field and be an an immediate impact and and score goals and be efficient and not do it not having to need 90 minutes to do it then i mean more power to him i I find that to be way more impressive I, i agree i think it's quite funny actually um i i think the thing with them right now is just trying to find who should be their defenders? So they're playing in the last game against, uh, not Austria, who did they play before that? Denmark. Oh, yeah, sorry, their last game against Denmark. The back line was very inexperienced. And their two midfielders as well, like Kamavinga and Chuameni, world-class yeah. players. Unbelievable. 19 and 22. I think that's too young, though. I think that's too young to play, and I know they have Pogba and Conte, but what if they're not available? What if Pogba isn't fit by the time the World Cup comes around and yep. Conte isn't fit? Then that's, yes, these two players, I think, are good enough to go and play in a World Cup and compete at a very high level. And they probably are good enough to also adjust to what they need to become. But you're kind of getting overlooked with, like, you look at the Denmark team. Thomas Delaney, Christian Eriksen, Hoiberg. That's a really experienced midfield yep. and a lot of other teams in the World Cup are going to have an experienced midfield too. And I wonder if those two will be good enough right away to compete. And in a tournament, you've kind of got to be 
you have your group to like they'll have time to figure yep. this out they'll basically you basically have three warm-up games if you're yep. a top team and then but when the when those other games come around that's when you gotta figure it out there so hopefully Pogba and Conte can come back healthy for France but right now like I don't know what the timeline is but those two guys I don't know if they're enough for France yeah. to go and win the World Cup again the good thing, the, the good thing, okay, so it's weird. It was like a blessing that Casemiro, for France at least, that Casemiro went to United. And then now Chuameni and Camavinga are in this position of playing way more minutes at Real Madrid, which is a top club. You obviously know that they're around some of the best footballers in the world getting that experience. But I do agree with you, at, at that age in their early 20s, to be playing at a senior level World Cup against some of the best midfielders in the world with tons of experience um, and being in positions that you only know what to do based on experience, when to shoot the ball, when to pass the ball, when to foul, when not to get into a, a, a heated argument. All of these things come down to experience. And sometimes we see these young players do super well at their first ever World Cup. And sometimes you don't see them as much because that experience is lacking. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that France overall is a pretty experienced team. So I'm, I'm wondering if Chouameni and Kamavinga kind of can adapt. But nonetheless, as an individual role, I do think that they are super, super young. And if I'm their opposition, I'm like, how do we expose that? Yeah. And that, that's the thing. You got to find a weakness in your opponents. And that, it feels honestly really weird to say that that would be their weakness. Because right. I know because they're unbelievable players, Both right? still really yeah. good. But... Again, I using the experience, and they do play Denmark in the World Cup, which right now, if you look to my Twitter, you'll see I gave out my predictions, and I said Denmark will win that group. I truly think they will. I think Denmark is a very good team where we talk about, like, the Belgium golden mm -hmm. generation and stuff like that, and, like, England's had one in the past too, and I don't even know if this is Denmark's golden generation. I just think they have a really good team. Yeah, I agree. And like those midfielders I listed off are all really great players. And then you have other guys coming into the team too, like Kasper Schmeichel, still a really good goalie. And I think Denmark can cause France problems like they have in a nation league. And then they also have Australia and Tunisia where should be fine. Yeah. Should be fine. But I believe there's also a chance they could run up against England pretty quick in the knockout stages. So... If that was to happen, who do, who would you take, do you think? Denmark and England? Uh, sorry, England-France. England-France? It's a funny one, isn't it? Because they're both not in good form at all. <laughs> you know what? I'm not giving up on England. And I'm not just saying this, uh, Liam, because obviously that's your team. I think, and this is my this is my bit with France. They're coming into this World Cup with huge pressure and expectation because they won the last one. Mm -hmm. And that's not an easy feat for any team, no matter how good you are, no matter how many superstars you have on this team. So it's just, there's a, there's a level of a pressure to perform where I feel like England has that pressure because they're always so solid on paper, but it's almost like people are like, yeah, whatever, they're going to finish sixth yeah, do you know what i mean i also think that they do have players that if they're able to just take it game by game and day by day and execute we were talking before the show harry kane's one of them potential golden boot winner that doesn't get the credit he necessarily deserves in an overall conversation that i could that i that could be the guy to do it for them um i would say england Solely because I think that they can just go maybe the furthest they have this year, despite how, 
you know, kind of crap they've been in in, in their games prior to the World Cup. I don't have this feeling about France. I think that they have a lot of pressure on them and I don't know if if they're just, if if they're going to be able to do it back to back. If that makes sense. That's just a gut feeling. There's really no like hardcore stats behind it. It's just a gut feeling. Do you... Do you believe in curses? I do believe in, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I actually do. I don't believe in like Drake wearing your team's jersey, right? Like not those curses. That <laughs> not those curses, but I do actually believe in. Okay. So I'm going to read the World Cup champions curse to you right mm. now. And I want to know if you think France will snap this curse this year. So starting in 2002, the European winners of the FIFA World Cup have frequently been eliminated in the group stages of the next World Cup. Uh, as of 2018, Germany has become the third world champion in a row to bow out of the group stage of the World Cup. Yes. And four, and the fourth and fifth competitions, whatever that means. <laughs> uh, so basically, Spain, Italy, and Germany, they were the last three European World Cup winners, have been eliminated in the group stage of the next World Cup. Is Does France end that streak? Maybe they end it, but again, I do think there there is this level of, holy shit, we just won the World Cup and everyone's expecting us to do it again because our squad is still pretty much the same with an immense amount of talent. And other teams also want to beat the team that just won the World Cup. Yeah. And they don't want to be the team that lost to that team, right? So there's just all of these factors that come in for these, these like that European World Cup curse, which makes <laughs> sense to me. I don't want France to lose. Again, you guys know how I feel. I think Benzema is going to win the Ballon d'Or and I want Benzema to win a World Cup and, and win a Ballon d'Or. Um, but I just don't see it happening for France and everyone's jumping on the French bandwagon and I just don't see it. I'm with you. I'm off the bandwagon. Yeah. I, I, I was somewhat on it in 2018 a little bit because I felt like going into that, they were easily the best team. Yeah. Easily, and they yeah. won. And now here we are. I don't think I... <laughs> now here's a bold statement. I would not be shocked at all if the curse continued. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I don't even know what it is. It's just Germany, we thought they were going to be really good when after they won Spain, Italy, and then it's just like, yeah. I have another fun fact for you, if you want to hear it. Is that octopus still alive? No, he died. No. Was that the, which World Cup was that? Was that the South African World Cup? I don't know, but I love that thing. Yeah, he's a gone. Sorry. Oh, okay, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I want to hear another girl. <laughs> so, Italy, when they won, since they've won the World Cup in 2006, they have not won a knockout game at the World Cup since. Because in 2010, they were eliminated in the group because they were in a group of England Costa Rica and Uruguay. 2014, they didn't make it. And in 2018, they were eliminated in the group, something like that. And now obviously they're not going to 2022. So since then they haven't, they haven't done it. Wild, a wild story. I honestly, I think, um, no, Italy failed. Yeah. This is about to say they failed to qualify for back-to-back world cups. Was it back-to-back? Okay. So 2020, they finished last in a group with Paraguay, Slovakia, and New Zealand. They didn't win a game. They drew to Paraguay, uh, drew to New Zealand, and then lost to Slovakia. Which is crazy because they, they most recently won the Euro. 
Yeah, and is that, isn't that the wildest thing? They most recently <laughs> like, won the Euro, essentially crowned as the best team in Europe, which yeah. you can't take credit away from the Italian no. team. I've always thought since I was young that the Italians do such a good job of playing zonal defense and then having these key players to to be a threat up top. They, they're, they're just always a balanced team mm-hmm. with a good goalkeeper, uh, top to bottom. And then they won the Euro, established themselves as the kings of Europe, and then miss the World Cup, and then miss another World Cup, back-to-back World Cups. Wild. I mean, Italian fans must be livid. I have one more fact. Tell me. I love this. <laughs> I love this stuff so much. So this triggered my triggered it in me. I, they're one of, if not the only team, to never lose a game at the World Cup. Wait, who? New Zealand. New Zealand. They've drew. They've been to one World Cup. I believe they're the only team to never lose a game at a World Cup in their history because they've been wow. to one World Cup and they've drawn three games. So that Good was, for them. yeah, they drew Slovakia 1 1, Italy 1 1, and Paraguay 0 0. Oh, nice. There you go. <laughs> they call, I think they call New Zealanders Kiwis. Uh, oh, yeah. I believe, I, in, I believe so. Our new, I don't want to get this messed up because I know people don't like it, but I'm pretty sure the Australians are Wallabies. Yeah, so and, New Zealanders South have been Africa's called Springboks. Okay, okay, I think New Zealanders have been called Kiwis. Yeah, there you go. You you come to Kickback to learn. I know, I'm learning real time too. <laughs> I'm like, I think that's right. I'm going to Google it just to make sure uh, quickly because just with Griezmann, I think if France, you know, have this unbelievable run and prove us wrong, I think that a lot of it will go to these low key players that they have too that deserve credit. You mentioned Griezmann. Giroud's another one. Scored his 49th goal for France against Austria. Two goals away from equaling Thierry Henry's Fran- uh, goal record for France. Wow. Right? That's pretty impressive. Silently. He's, yeah. He's done it silently, which is so like, this guy's won a Champions League with Chelsea, helped France win um, the World Cup, and then AC Milan won, won it, uh, their first Scudetto in 11 years. So just a guy that I think is behind the scenes. We mention a couple of those guys on our show often. Just another one to add in the conversation. Yeah. He's just kind of always looked around as a really serviceable player. Like, I like him a lot. He's a good player. Hopefully he goes to the World Cup again and just keeps doing what he does. It's funny how he's tied to Von Marie, though. He's, like, obviously one of the best ever. But it's funny that sometimes these guys who are just, honestly, good players just past these legends. It always just kind of tickles me a little bit. Oh, tickles. You're so funny. Henri, man, what a le- I felt like when Henri left Arsenal, we never got the same Henri again, though. No, it was a shame. Because he, he, he go Barcelona, Barcelona for a few years, yeah. and then he went to the MLS for yeah. a while. Yeah, we never really saw the best of him. I, I'll always remember the invincible season Arsenal had and when he was on that team. And yeah, just legendary. Yeah. That team as well was not so right? it I was uh i always remember to the that next season so the year they went undefeated and won the league the year after i believe it was the f- yeah it was the 50th game because it was being really mm. marked and they would play manchester united at old trafford and it would have been their 50th undefeated game in a row and they lost 2-0 and van nistel <gasps> van nistel Roy and wayne rooney scored and i remember arsene wenger just being so pissed off and like the whole all of all the arsenal players it's like i guess that would be so difficult to lose after winning so much but oh my gosh of course is what it is i suppose when the world cup's done and we have some time in in our podcast we need to make one pot podcast dedicated to like the throwback players of when yeah. we were growing up yeah 
I got so the, a lot. So the young generation doesn't forget. Doesn't forget. The streets don't forget. Yeah, yeah. it's important. Is there one player, I guess, just to put you on the spot right now, that you people you think maybe don't remember that much, but you will always remember? Mine's Nicholas Anelka. Okay, why? Just because he played for all the best teams in the world. Like he played for Real Madrid, mm-hmm. played for uh, City, sorry. He played for Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Champions League winner. But he also played for Bolton Wanderers. <laughs> for some reason, he came and played for us after we, we signed him from Fenerbahce and then we sold him to Chelsea. And I believe, I think he missed the penalty that gave the advantage to United in the Champions League final in right. Moscow for, and then United won. I think it was him that missed it. Because I know there's the infamous John Terry slip, but I'm pretty sure he had a factory. Maybe he missed the first one or something, but uh, Nicholas Anelka, my favorite goal of his was when uh, he was actually playing Arsenal. It might have been a first goal for Bolton as well. And it was like end of the box and just absolutely cannon this ball. It was unbelievable. And yeah, just I'll never forget you, Nicholas. I, I think right now, having to answer this so quickly without taking time, my immediate thought goes to um, the Dutch, like the Netherlands and the team that they had growing up and watching Wesley Schneider play in that attacking yeah. midfielder role. I know he played for big clubs, but I don't think he was like as big as he played if that makes sense like yep. he could be in the conversation way more and we could think about him way more but we don't but he was just such a good it, like he, this guy was such a threat he was quick he passed the ball he could shoot he he was just so freaking good that when I, it was one of those times when you'd watch him play you just didn't want to stop watching him play and obviously there are many many good attacking center midfielders in the conversation of football but schneider's not talked enough enough um for me and and he's just a guy that stands out in my head i was always obsessed with the netherlands growing up though yeah i actually was too because they wore orange and i thought that was very different and i always liked actually and i know other teams did this as well but they would always have the two nations logos that they were playing and i know some teams do that but i always thought that was really cool but i'll always remember um that 2010 Netherlands team that went to the World Cup final was just, there was a lot of fun. Like Schneider was on the team. I just got it up here. Was, did they play Spain? Yeah, and they lost. Yes. That's when, it, was it Iniesta got the goal? Yes. Yeah. That, that final broke my heart, Liam. Yeah? Oh my God. My dad was cheering for Spain. I was cheering for the Netherlands. I was so obsessed with that. That's the Netherlands team I was like obsessed with. Yeah. They were, they were fun to watch and I just got it up here. So Robin and Schneider were the the two yeah and then obviously van persie was on the team as well and i always remember uh nigel de young put his boot yeah. into javi alonso's chest and oh everyone's yeah like, what the hell and yeah nigel de young bit of a dirty player i'm not gonna lie there's Stuart Hol- about that. yeah there's uh so my one of my favorite players and i'm sure if you've watched like u.s coverage of football Stuart holden people are yeah, probably yep. be familiar with him nigel de young Injured him. I believe it was in an international match and like was kind of like pushed him to the end of his career and like kind of ended it quickly. Him and Johnny Evans, who just got his 100th cap for Northern Ireland recently, but yeah. Okay, now I'm gonna put you on the spot. When you think of, when I say who is the dirtiest player to ever play football, who do you think of? Roy Keane. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Roy Keane. Like I, you have to, I'll never, I didn't witness this, but I've seen it multiple times is the, uh, when he injured Haaland's dad. 
he just True. broke his leg or whatever he did and he was and it was so i i recently i got his books and i'm planning on reading them i actually like him a lot as a pundit because i like he's just honesty and yeah. he just doesn't care what people say yeah. and i don't think he says it in a way of like arrogance but like passion i guess yep. is a better way to put it so when um when holland played that first game for city against west ham holland's dad was in the stands i can't remember i think his name's alfie and roy Keane was doing the the punditry after the game and mika richards was like he was like talking and he's like roy Keane was talking whatever and he's like oh roy there's there's alfie he's gonna get you and like roy Keane's kind of looking around it was pretty funny <laughs> oh my god i had to find that <laughs> it was a good one it was a good i got that nicholas and elka goal if you want to see it really yes, quickly please. We'll post it. But this is him. Your quality is high on this video. <laughs> this is super HD. This is only like 2005. And boom. Damn. Look at that. Those are some of the nice ones. That one dipped, hey? Oh, yeah. I love a good dip. That was a good journey. Yeah, and he always used to do this thing. His little butterfly. I love it. Nicholas and Elko. What a team at Bolton. What do you Boston. think about when I say dirtiest player and I say Pepe? I think he's more of a cheat than a dirty player. That guy was not. He was just a... I don't even know if he was a good footballer. To I don't. Be <laughs> like I, I, um, he, he was a. I, I always say you want a guy like that on your team, right? Like you yeah. want a guy to instill that fear and to have that like really hard, defensive, low key, high key, dirty kind of player. But there are some tackles that Pepe would put in, and I'm like, yo, this guy's ankles, if they're not like semi broken or sprained, he's coming out with like bruises for sure the next day. It's funny. <laughs> And I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound harsh, and it partially is, but if he didn't wear a Real Madrid jersey, he wouldn't have as good of a reputation as he does. You and might not be wrong. He wasn't the best. Like, he was good. He's a good player. Obviously, he played for yeah. Real Madrid for a long time, but I think he was a little bit overrated, and I just think he was more known for, like, his tackling and stuff yeah. like that. And it's like, yeah. Puyol was also a little bit dirty as well. Oh, but yeah. He, I mean, even yeah. Ramos. Ramos is, you yeah. know, goaded. <laughs> yeah, that true. guy's got like 97,000 red cards, right? Yeah. So, so you got to, as a defender, you need a little bit of that spice in your game. Yeah. Have to. I mean, it, when it's used correctly and in a, in a smart way, you have to have that. You got to have it. Tony Adams is really good at that, I always thought, for Arsenal. But yeah, I would actually love to do that throwback episode. I've got, uh, it'd be I've fun. got a lot of good ones from the early to mid to mid to late 2000s i guess that was kind of my era of premier league football let's do this after the world cup and you guys let us know in the comments um or tweet us or whatever however you're digesting this episode give us some topics to talk about like the best throwback player the dirtiest player the player who didn't get enough credit uh i don't know the funniest player to watch the most overrated mm. player i wanted like yeah it'd be cool to have these topics and then we come prepared with our answers. Mm -hmm. Most overrated. That's a fun one. I can't even think off the top of my head. We, we, this is a, such a big one. conversation yeah. that we need time. Yes, we, we need time because these answers are so important to me because obviously growing up, like we were both, we still are. We love this sport. So I need time to just pick and choose and, and really remember watching. Like there are some games and this is no disrespect where Torres would miss like nine open oh, nets. And I'm no. like, how the hell is he considered to be one of the best strikers when he misses open nets? But so, that, and I know it's a hot take <laughs> and I don't want anyone to come for me, but there were moments when I'd be watching a game as a kid and I'd be like, H how? Yeah. I have a most overrated player right now. Okay, tell me. Kai Havertz. Liam's <laughs> <laughs> saying that because he's mad about the Germany. I, I am mad result. about that, but I've been on this for a while too, and I just, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. 
I have this maybe Tuchel was the manager I was saying he doesn't play his plays in the best conspiracy yeah. theory Havertz probably heard you talk <laughs> smack about him and then he's like I'm gonna score two I, goals against I England today did. I hope he did hit me that's so good <laughs> all right guys uh thanks for listening we'll see you next week and enjoy City versus United this weekend ah yes and Arsenal Tottenham yes and Arsenal Tottenham that's a wrap for another episode of Kickback, and thanks so much for listening. You can catch Caroline and Liam here every single week on Tuesdays and Thursdays to give you the latest rundown on all things football. Please don't forget to subscribe and give us a nice five-star rating. Please and thank you. And for even more Kickback content, follow the 90th Minute on all your favorite social channels. See you next time.